What's up, healer? I'm your host, Q Morgan, and you're listening to Modern Healing. The podcast that teaches you how to manage your own mental space in more ways than one. On this episode, we'll share in the journey of writing and storytelling and just how much of an impact it has on our mental health. Come on, let's go inside the conversation. Let's go for a ride. I I never wanted to write. I'm I'm not a writer naturally. So when somebody had mentioned to me like you should write during this process, I said, "Why would I do that?" Like what's what 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 benefit does it have with me writing everything down? And they said, listen, when you want to heal, you got to learn how to express what you feel. And writing gives you the access of expression. And I was like, you know what? Okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to write every single day what I feel, what's on my mind, my heart, my emotions. And I picked up the art of writing and journaling and storytelling during my healing process. And I kid you not, I think I wrote for almost 100 days. Every single day, I would just journal how I felt. I would journal what's on my mind. I would journal what's in my heart. And I didn't even realize that writing and storytelling and journaling is nothing more than a practice a practice that I believe has the power to help you heal. You see, writing is a healthy practice for your mind and your spirit. I learned that writing helps get to the heart of the matter by getting whatever you're dealing with out of your mind and onto a page. And listen, I know not everybody wants to Take the time to write about loss or hurt or pain or trauma. But if you were to Google, people experience a positive effect from employing expressive writing to cope with some of life's most difficult moments. I mean, when we write about psychologically upsetting experiences, we actively start to confront the event and the emotions that that event caused in our life. We're able to give perspective to the experience and its relation to the rest of our lives by opening up about the trauma and constructing an undesirable narrative of what has occurred. I was writing every single day. Writing about what I felt, writing about what I was going through, writing about what I was dealing with. And I was reading the other day just some of my writing. And it says, my friend began to explain to me the meaning of life, how my grandmother is watching over me and how what I'm going through isn't the end. I said, it's not that I am considering taking my life. Chill. I just don't want to ever be in this season of my life again. My friend said, not everyone feels things the way you do, and that's your power. You'll hurt, but you'll heal. You'll cry, but you'll grow. It was at that moment that I realized one of the keys to moving ahead in your 20s is embracing what you feel and knowing what to leave behind. When I read that in my writing, when I read that in my journaling, when I looked back 
on where I was on that day, I could see the growth. And not only could I see the growth, but I could see how healing happened for me. You see, a lot of times we talk about, oh, just catch flights, don't catch feelings. But the reality is, even on that plane, if that plane were to start shaking, I'm sure you would feel fear because we can't escape what we feel. The best thing for us to do is to just face it. The best thing for us to do is just express it. And writing and journaling is nothing more than an expression. I mean, journaling may be a popular form of therapeutic writing, but I mean, even if we were to just look at some of the books that have been produced over the years, some of the novels that have been expressed, some of the stories that have been shared, some of the songs, I mean, we would see that stories, stories really do have the ability to transform us and transport us. You see, writing is nothing more than telling a story. Storytelling is nothing more than telling a story. Journaling is nothing more than telling a story. So I want to ask you a question. What's your story? I mean, we all have one. We've all experienced hurt. We've all experienced pain. But many of us, we hold it in for years and we never let it go. I just want you to know it's okay to let go. You ain't got to carry it no more. You can find a place to release it all. I think our world is full of so many incredible stories. We hear stories all the time. I mean, especially through the lyrical content of what we call today hip-hop. I mean, hip-hop is full of nothing but Stories after stories after struggle after struggle. Born in New York City, hip-hop culture is now a world phenomenon. And I mean, you would be hard-pressed to find any country that doesn't have some kind of hip-hop scene. It's literally all over the world. Rappers dating back to Tupac with songs like Brenda's Got a Baby, those songs, that song, it told a story. She wrapped the baby up and threw him in the trash. He, I guess she thought she'd get away, wouldn't hear the cross. She didn't realize how much the little baby had her eyes. Now the baby's in the trash, he balling. Mama can't help her, but it hurts to hear her calling. Brenda wants to run away. Mama say you're making me lose pay. And social workers here every day. Now Brenda's got The reality is, writing... Writing is a form of healing. And I promise you, beyond all the other methods that I use, I will honestly say I think writing, writing helped me heal. And it continues to help me heal. And I wanted to find someone who understood the art of writing. Somebody who understands the importance of journaling and maybe somebody who's even from the Bronx, somebody who knows just how much hip hop and music has shaped and impacted our world. And I came across a guy by the name of Joel Leon. His recent feature on TED.com talks all about the beautiful hard work of co-parenting. His talk reached almost 1 million views and counting. 
And before we call them up on this episode, I want to let you hear a little bit of that conversation. I thought Co-Parent was reserved primarily for white families that starred in Netflix primetime dramas. <laughs> it still kind of does. But um, <laughs> it wasn't used to, to, to explain the role of a parent, right? Either you had kids or you didn't. And no one in my social circles or at our dinner table was having complex conversations about the role fathers played in that conversation, right? A, a more balanced, open, loving approach to parenting was not something we were discussing within our social circles. A majority of the time, uh, the fathers I knew of growing up were barely present or just completely non-existent. Co-parent wasn't a term I heard or saw where I grew up, where I came from. I wanted to find out more of Joel's story, his story of healing and writing and storytelling and parenting. So I called him up. Well, if it isn't the boss man himself, the incredible and inspirational Joel, what's up, man? You know, I'm just a brother trying to survive. You know? During my conversation with Joel, I talked about how people with the worst stories always end up writing the best narratives. You know, when it comes to New York, I've only heard stories of fire escape steps. And if you can make it in New York, you can make it anywhere. But I wanted to find out what it was like for him, for real. Like, really growing up in the Bronx. Well, you know, I mean, I, I take pride in growing up in the birthplace of hip hop. And I think, you know, for... Let me, okay, so let me rewind and kind of give uh, the backdrop for what would happen prior to me being born, which I think helped kind of create the universe I started making art in, right? So when we look at certain areas in the Bronx, really specifically the South Bronx, um, Robert, uh, Robert Moses uh, came up with the grand idea of building what was going to be called which which is called the cross bronx expressway now the cross bronx expressway once it was built basically ran through the heart of the bronx and so you had a lot of buildings that had to be collapsed in order in order to create um in order to create the expressway once you do that um you start seeing a lot of white flight um and once in like a lot of these areas were already somewhat impoverished uh at, at least middle to low middle income to like low middle income um, once white flight happens, uh, landlords are starting to see that they're not really getting, they're not really making any money. Um, and so they start burning the buildings down. Um, and you start seeing that happen in other areas too, outside of the Bronx, but it was really prevalent in the Bronx. Like if you, you know, there's a, literally there's a book titled The Bronx is Burning. Um, there was a series dedicated to it where it kind of follows the, um, the story of the Yankees in, in that time period of the 70s. Um, you have a lot of street gangs running around, right? And you move into the 80s with, with Reaganomics and, and the crack epidemic. You know, I was born in 83. And so I was kind of born right around the time when crack was really becoming the hot thing in the streets. Wow. You know, um, at that time, I'm, I'm, I'm the youngest out of uh, three siblings. Um, I have one blood, full blood brother, my brother D, and then I have a half brother and half sister, my brother Kelvin and my sister Tanja. Um, and so my sister, I didn't know I, I had until I was 10, but what, what that does for me is, you know, being raised by a single mother in the Bronx, you know, in a kind of like, uh, uh, not like a dangerous area, but Creston Avenue in the Bronx definitely wasn't the safest, 
And like, yeah, when I tell people I grew up on Creston, a lot of them are like, wow. Um, it, it, you know, like grow up, grow up not too far from a halfway house. It was like a lot of like shootouts. It was like, wow, that was happening back in the day. Um, but it was a good time for me because I was growing up in what I consider to be the golden era of hip hop. Like by the time I was able to appreciate music, looking at like, let's say 92, 91, you know, like I think for me, that's the, the grand era of, of rap. You know, when we're, when we're looking at Illmatic, you know, which would soon be followed by Ready to Die. You know, you have, you know, like Wu-Tang's Return to the 36 Chambers. Like there's so much happening in the music and I just soaked it all up. And then like, you know, you have freestyle music, you have salsa, bachata, you know, you're growing up with Dominicans, Puerto Ricans, Haitians, like the whole, like the, the whole diaspora of the Caribbean um, is pretty much like in this area. And so all that's feeding into how I'm, how I'm living my life. You know, I'm, I'm writing poems, I'm freestyle rapping, I'm, I'm, I'm making up fake plays and movies in my mother's spare room. Like I'm trying to figure out ways, I think a to cope, but then also finding ways that, that finding ways to do things that spoke to me um, as a, as a child. And I just carried that over into making art, but the Bronx was essentially the foundation for all of that. You know, the friendships I had, the, the, the girls that I liked that didn't like me back, the the um, the the music that I heard greatly influenced how I chose to live my life and also pushed me towards I think huh. the profession that I have now. Like, granted, I'm a, my nine to five is a copywriter, but I, I'm an artist. Like, that's what I do. I'm a storyteller, you know. And whether that through, whether that be through hip hop and rapping and emceeing, whether that be through theater and film as an actor, whether that be as a poet. Um, you know, w- whether that be as a, as a, as a, as an empath or, um, as a healer, you know, like that's all that comes back to my upbringing in the Bronx for sure. You know, it's amazing how our childhoods shape us, how our experiences shape us. They say that we are 80% of the things that we've experienced. And I've learned that no matter how much of an adult I become, There is an inner child on the inside of me that holds a box full of my greatest hurts, full of my greatest pain. But it's up to me. It's up to me to free that little boy with the box. And Joel, I want to know, how did you free the boy inside of you with the box? Mm, I mean, like, yeah, it's heavy. Um, You know, I, I think a lot of, you know, I spent a lot of time growing up as if I was an only child and, and that had to do, and that wasn't any of my siblings fault. Uh, like my, my, my eldest sibling, my brother Kevin, he was locked up um, for 10 years over some drug, you know, Rockefeller laws or what have you. Um, brother Dwayne, Dwayne is eight years older than me. And so yeah, I didn't have like, I had friends. I had, I had a decent amount of friends in my block, but I was also different. You know, like I, I, I had, man, you know, I had imaginary friends until I was probably 12, 13. You know, like I was still playing with G.I. Joe's around the same time. I remember my uncle talking, like my uncle being like, Joe, what you, what, what you doing, man, with, the, with, with, with them toys, man? He made me throw all my G.I. Joe's away at that at that time. And part of, you know, like that that's not my traumatic experience. But what I realized was that I spent a lot of time feeling like I was alone, feeling like people didn't understand me. You know, um, I, I got bullied sometimes. I, I was kind of, I was a little husky in elementary school. I had the gap. I never really felt like I was um, cool enough um, for, for, for for certain folks, um, and I, I think the, the the stuff that I had to unpack, uh, and I think it's trauma that 
it's something a similar experience for a lot of folks just not feeling like I was good enough you know I, when I was like six I would I, I would get I would get angry like, I would get really angry and be over stuff like whether I lost in a video game or I felt like I was just really hungry and I didn't know what to do about it you know like I would try to like poke myself with, with, with knives because I didn't I didn't want to I knew I didn't want to harm myself but I wanted I knew I wanted attention and I wanted to I wanted to I wanted to I wanted to cut out the pain you know and I didn't know how to do that and so I spent a lot of years just being the kid who had art as really a, a, as a tool to keep me safe and to keep me grounded and so even now I struggle with like if I'm not creating like who am I you know if I'm not making like what is my worth who am I and like do I matter like does my existence huh. matter um social media doesn't help it at all um you know I, you know what I'm saying like it's it's a lot of like I why why did they get that and I didn't or why am I not where I thought I would be great and mind you I'm 37 you know like folks we we tend to think like the younger generation tends to think like I'll get it like once I turn like 30 and have my family and I'll be set and it's like no, it just means that you just have different things that you're worried about. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, worries never go away. It's just about how we manage those worries, how we manage the anxiety and the trauma. And then, like, whether it's low-level anxiety or, like, high-level, I can't function right now anxiety. You know, like, you know, and in and, and question my worth runs across the gamut. Like, questioning my worth and my legacy as an artist, um, as a father. Um, as a friend, you know, like that's that's daily work for me to like make sure that I'm not um, the what I learned um, through through my friend and life coach um, Jamie Winnick. Uh, we we called it the, my, my my saboteur, like who the person that kind of shows up on 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 kind of like the angel devil um, analogy, who shows up and tells me like you're not good enough, or, or you don't deserve to do a TED talk, or. Like, why is your TED Talk, like, only had 500,000 views or 800,000? Yeah. Why didn't it hit 900,000? I think if any of you follow Joel on Instagram, Twitter, wherever, you'll see his inspirational posts literally every day and all day. I mean, he's such an inspiration. And I get why he did a TED Talk. I mean, I get why he writes books that produce so much healing for all of us. You know, it's amazing to see how he is breaking up with the broken. You know, and I've seen a quote that said, your past does not need to be your home. You can break the lease. And I wanted to ask, Joel, because I'm curious, you know, how are you rewriting your story? How are you using writing to continue to heal? I mean, you know, it's taken, first of all, thank you, man. Uh, And I appreciate that love. um, It's taken a lot of different iterations. You know, it, it started with me as an MC, and I, I think a large, a, a big shift happened for me right around the time of the Ferguson uprisings because my, um, my, my the, the mother of um, Lila, she, she was in her, we were in the third trimester of pregnancy at the time, and I was feeling incredibly suicidal, you know, and I, I wasn't sure what my worth was or like what I was doing. I didn't think I was properly prepared financially or emotionally to be a father to anybody. And to show up in a way that was gonna actually benefit um, the, the, this this child that I was gonna be soon to be raising, um, but I, at that time I was like I can't I can't write a song about this like I can but it feels very limiting to me to have 
like a 16 bar verse and an eight bar hook and maybe like a four to eight bar B chorus attached to this hook in order to express my feelings. And so I started moving more or less towards essays. And a lot of the essays were about my, like my dealings with my own mental health while also really discussing in detail what I felt was uh, the, 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 the black experience and, and, and the dehumanization of the, the black body. Um, and what that looked like in essay form and poet in poetry form. A lot of those essays started going viral and that really helped grow my audience in a different way. At that time, um, I had maybe like about 10,000 Twitter followers and it just kind of kept growing. And it also put me in like, you know, I think that was the first time like DeRay and I connected on social it was for my essays. Like there were a lot of folks who started catching wind of the work that I was doing and that helped elevate the platform. Um, and so for me, it, it, it then it, it then became very clear to me that I needed to ride the seasons, and you know, and and that meaning, you know, my my approach to the art is very much a seasonal approach. So this season right now is not even necessarily about me writing. I'm writing, yes, but it's really more about me speaking. I've been doing more speaking in the past year and a half um, than I've done, I think, ever. You know, as far as like. Ted, and then like I was at the Kindred Conference last year, and hosting workshops and talking in classrooms and being on podcasts. Like a lot of that happened, started happening in the tail end of 2018, the whole year of 2019, going into 2020. Um, but before that, it was like the primary focus was really me performing, you know, like performing with the band as opposed to what I've been doing now, which is performing kind of like a acoustic set with my man Arthur Lewis with just raps and him singing in, on a piano. You know, like, it's, it's for me, it's just kind of following the flow of the seasons when it comes to the art. Like, I don't try to force anything. You know, like, I'm working on my one, like, I'm finishing the play, and it's probably on its, like, a thousandth draft right now. But part of that is, like, okay, when the time is right, I know, I'm going to know it because I ha- that's the only thing that's been guiding me. You know, spirit has been guiding my art. I, for a while, just wasn't paying attention to it. Man. You are such a light. You're so full of inspirational thought. You're so full of creative juice and energy, man. You you are healing wrapped in human form, and I appreciate you for being just that. Man to man, if you could leave me with a letter titled Black Boy Heal, what would it say? What would be your encouragement to me? Um, I, I would say that... Um being vulnerable is probably the strongest thing you can do for yourself. Yeah. Um, we are told, especially when it comes to black boys and black men, you know, being vulnerable is a female trait or like intuition is like a womanly thing. And it's like, these are all things that, that, that we can hone ourselves. We're just not taught to. We're not taught that we're allowed to be vulnerable. We're allowed to be soft and that you can still be those things and carry masculine energy, you know. Um, I don't question my masculinity, you know. I, I and I, I think I spent time with folks who, 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 who did who questioned it because I was sensitive or because I was softer than what they deemed to be appropriate for a man. And it's like, man, you gotta, you know, yeah. you 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 check your toxicity. Like I can't I can't change your mind, and it's not gonna be my job to do that. All I can do is continue continue to show up in my truth. And my success, my success came from me checking in and showing up in my truth 
And it took a lot of work and support from a community and a lot of reading, you know, like a lot of feeding myself good thoughts and good words to remind myself that who I am and who I and, and how I show up, knowing that I'm, I'm a loving person, I'm a kind person, you know, and let me, let me pull that back. Knowing that I show up in kindness, right? And I show up because I think it's important to recognize it's not the personality, these are behaviors, exactly. right? So I'm not a kind person, I show up in kindness. Um, I think everyone has the potential to be a kind person, but it's how we show up in space. Man, like <laughs> you you said something that I had to learn to adapt to because I was like, you know, if I'm if I'm too open, if I'm too honest, you know, I was going through a hard time. People were like, you like just just hush and heal. And I'm like, no, bro, like why would I hush and heal when I can speak it and and grab it and feel it and be free from it, you know? And but the society made me feel like, you know, oh, if you're being vulnerable, then you're not being masculine. You know what I mean? Like, if you're showing too much emotion, then something wrong with you, bro. Like, no, no, no. Like, but I'm, I've, I've learned that, man, that's where the greatest healing comes from. When you sit down with yourself and you have a conversation with yourself and you can look yourself in the mirror yeah. and say, yo, everything isn't right. Like, what can we do to help this process? What can I do to help you? You know what I mean? Speaking to the self and being like, self, we can do better and we're going to get to better and things are going to be better for us. Um, but it's about being vulnerable and about being honest with your truth. And if you can do, you can be honest with yourself about who you are you know, and, and and own that in a way that is reflective of your experience and your values, you can't go wrong ever. As I end our conversation, I wanted to ask Joel one more thing. And that was, what does healing mean to you? I, I, I would say healing is forgiveness, forgiveness of self. Most importantly, more, more so than for anybody else, like forgiving ourselves for decisions we've made, um, for the people we continue to allow into our lives, um, I think healing is um, healing is love. You know, it's it, it's a practice. I think healing is a practice. I don't think there's like I'm healed, I'm done. And it's something you were touching on earlier, you right? Like I don't think there's ever a I'm finished, I'm complete, that the project is over. I am a whole human and. I'm great and nothing is wrong. It's like, no, we're always healing. We're healing from something, always. And it could be a microaggression. It could be a slight at work. It could be the rejection thing. You know, we got rejected and we, we wanted this prize and we didn't get it. Or we wanted this and we didn't. Ha- we don't have them. I mean, granted, there's no having a person, right? But that's another conversation. Um, I, I, I do think there's something to be said for healing being an ongoing process, a beautiful process if we're willing to be open to it. Thank you, Joel, for sharing your story. Salute, man. Well, that's all. Listen, if you like this show, be sure to leave us a rating and a review because it allows for other healers to find us. I'm Q Morgan. Until next time, keep healing. Modern Healing is supported by Bloom the self-guided therapy mobile app that uses the power of cognitive behavioral therapy and mindful exercises to improve your mental health. Download the mobile app today and use our promo code HEALING20. Let's continue to heal.